out what I need to do. Right? And so, uh, but the first thing that I think, and maybe you notice this too, but the first thing I notice when I look at this list, starting in, in verse 25 of chapter 4, is there's nothing earth-shattering here. Like, it's not like this is some new revelation from God that's going to change the world forever, right? He's not, he's not reinventing the wheel with this list of do's and don't, rules to live by. Now, I want to think about that phrase for a moment, um, reinventing the wheel, because we say that a lot, right? In fact, just this last week, I heard a couple people say it in different contexts, meaning different things. We, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Well, here's the thing about that phrase. Uh, we've been, we human beings have been trying to reinvent the wheel ever since the wheel was invented. I mean, look all around you. There are wheels all around us. We use them and see them every single day of our lives. And they come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. We've got big ones and small ones, short ones and tall ones, fat ones and skinny ones. We've got some wheels that are, that are solid. We've got some wheels that have spokes in them, all kinds of different wheels. Most of us came here on a set of four wheels this morning. We use them. They're everywhere. Sometimes we marvel at the wheel. At least I do. That makes me weird. That's fine. But I'm like, what a great invention. Thank you to whoever did that so many thousands of years ago. The wheel. Like when I go to Adventureland or a place like it and I look up at the Ferris wheel, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is one big wheel. And I certainly do not want to ride on that Ferris wheel. Seriously, for some reason, Ferris wheels freak me out because I have this vision in my head that if I get on that thing, the thing's going to unhitch and start to roll away <laughs> while I'm on it because that's what wheels do. They roll away, and so I, I sort of get scared. And then have you seen that big Ferris wheel-looking thing out in London called the London Eye? Just Google that thing. I'm never, if I ever find myself there, no way am I getting on the London Eye. If we're on the road, and we see one of those tractors with the tires that are like three and a half, four stories high. I marvel at those wheels. I'm like, look, boys, look at the size of those wheels. If you've ever had to change the tires on your vehicle, get new ones, you know how many different varieties of tires there are. It can be overwhelming. I'm just like, I don't know, just give me the one that I can drive in every season and I'm fine and I'll get out of here. I bet if we looked out in our parking lot, and the lot beyond in George White's parking lot, I bet there are as many different kinds of wheels in those two parking lots as there are in this room. We've been trying to reinvent the wheel ever since the wheel was invented, but let me say this about all of those different wheels. They're all circular, and they all move by rolling. So they're still, they're just the same thing. There, is some, there are some things that are just so good and so perfect that they will never be rendered obsolete, ever. The wheel is one of those things. And, and when we look at this list of do's and don'ts that Paul gets us, gives us, I think we'll realize that, that these things are so good and so beautiful, they will never be rendered obsolete. When we, when we look at this list, it's like the real wheel. We recognize it. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's circle and it rolls. That's a wheel. When we look at it, I promise you, when we look at these things. In fact, I want, we're going to go through them in a little bit. 
But when you look at these things, I don't think any of us in this room is going to hear one of the things on this list and go, uh, like, I can see where that was a good idea 2,000 years ago, but you know what? We've come so far, and we've grown so much, and we know so much more than they did back there, those ancient people, that, you know, we've sort of moved on from that. So we're going to look at this list. We're going to go down them one by one. I may skip a few because I've got other things to say. But I want you to try to think to yourself whether or not any of these things are obsolete. Like we have to get rid of them. Okay? So we're going to start with the first one. This is in verse 25. I'm just going to, I've renamed them for you. You're welcome. Okay, here's the first one. Rules to live by. Be honest. Just be honest. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Be honest. And what I love about this is he connects it with this idea that we are all one body. And what he's saying here, I think the idea of what he's getting at here is, is this. Lying is an exercise in self-harm because it damages the body. It damages the community. Lying, what does lying do? It erodes trust. Lying can tear apart, tear apart a community. Lying is an exercise in self-harm because we're all members of one body. Do you ever just sit around and slap yourself in the face? No, we wouldn't do that. So why would we ever lie? Because lying hurts the one who's doing the lying and also Lying hurts the one being lied to, and it hurts the community. Just be honest. Is that obsolete? No. That's definitely relevant. Some of these things are more relevant today than maybe ever. Here's the next one. Get angry at injustice. Verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, okay, so apparently it's okay to be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. So it's okay to be angry. If you read the Gospels, if you read the stories about Jesus in the Bible, you'll see him getting angry at all kinds of injustices around him. So we can look at the world and we can see things and we're like, that's not right. That's just wrong. And we can feel that anger bubble up inside of us and that's an okay thing. But sometimes that anger can get to the point where we'll act irrationally or we will get all self-righteous because we're better than those people. So in your anger, it's okay to look at the world and be like, that's not right. Be constructive with it. But in your anger, do not sin. That's pretty relevant today, right? Here's number three. Work for a living or contribute Verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Stop mooching off people. Stop mooching off other people, y'all, is what he's saying here. Don't steal. Work for a living. Actually contribute to society. Actually contribute to the community. Don't sit back and let everybody else do it. Actually contribute, especially so that you can help those who are in need. I like it. Definitely relevant. Number four, avoid hate speech. 
Just avoid it. Straight up. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Verse 31, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Recognize that words have the power to injure, that words have the power to incite things like violence. Avoid hate speech. Definitely relevant, right? Next one, recognize the powers of word, the power of words to build up. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Show maturity in what you say so that you can build others up. Definitely relevant today on all platforms with your mouth on Twitter, Facebook, other places. Recognize the power of words to build up. Number six, be kind and compassionate. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. <laughs> Enough said. Definitely relevant. Number seven, live a life of love. Ver five, chapter five, verse one. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Love ought to be our rule. Love is the reason we gather here together. Love ought to be the ultimate virtue that guides every single thing that we do. Pretty good list of do's and don'ts, wouldn't you say? He's not reinventing the wheel here. Like, there's nothing here that we're like, oh my goodness, I didn't think of that. I never heard that before. We don't have to reinvent the wheel either. These are things that are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. Here's the deal. When we look at a list like this, and there are several others like it, just sort of a different variation on the wheel, but it's still a wheel, we look at others like it in the Bible and we look at it and often we think to ourselves, if I could just do those things, if I could just be that kind of person, I will finally live a life that is pleasing to God. Yes, absolutely true. But there's a danger here because oftentimes we're tempted to make Christianity just about living a good life. That's what we make it all about. But here's the deal. You can look out in the world and you'll find people who have no connection with any religion or who don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. And they're still living their life according to principles like these. Right? So if we reduce Christianity to just following a bunch of rules to live by, to just living a moral life, we've totally reduced it to just simple moralism. And that's it. And I don't think that's what Paul is after here. I don't think that's what he's after here at all. I think he's after something deeper. Because Christianity, what we gather here for, isn't just about moralism. It isn't just about living a good life. It isn't just about following the rules, Right? Which, if it is, it, it, can turn, it can easily turn into this thing we call fundamentalism. Where, whereby we can then look at a list, and then we can begin judging others for not following the list of rules to live by. And it becomes toxic really quickly. And that's not what Paul is after here. No, Christianity is about relationship. I said it last week, I'm going to say it again this week. 
Christianity is a relationship religion, and the most important, the core relationship, is a relationship with Jesus. Everything depends on that relationship. It's why Paul didn't start with the list, because it's not as important as the relationship. I started with the list because I had a point to make. He didn't start with the list. So we'll back up to verse 17 and see what he says before he gets to the list. He says this, So I tell you and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. So they are separated from the life. There's a disconnect between their lives and the life of the divine. So they're cut off. There's, it's not there. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now here might be the most important part. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. So apparently, knowing Christ is an important part of this. You did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Christianity isn't about rules and traditions. Christianity isn't about the do's and don'ts that we set up. It isn't simply about living a good life. That's why Paul doesn't start with the list. That's why it takes him three chapters and then some to finally get to the list. To say, okay, now here's what it looks like. Paul begins with relationship, relationship with Jesus. And I love the image he uses. He says things like this, put off your old self and put on the new self. So he uses this image of something that we do every single day of our lives, undressing and dressing, taking your clothes off and putting new clothes on. Something we do every single day of our lives. Just like we get undressed and dress in something new in the morning. Like this is a daily thing. We do that every day. Our relationship with the divine is something that we're that intentional about in our lives. Dressing and undressing. I think of it like this. On Saturday morning, sometimes we sleep in a little bit. And then if our kids are quiet enough and don't make too much noise, we sleep in a little bit and then we get up and it's a little bit lazier on a Saturday. And so we'll get up and we'll make some breakfast and we will, uh, after we eat breakfast, hopefully as a family, the boys will be like, dad and mom, can you play with us? Can we do this? We're like, sure. Well, then we get playing or we'll get to do some household chores. It'll get to be 10 o'clock or so. And I'll be like, I need to take a shower. I'm stinky, right? And I'll, I won't go a day without showering. No. I'll make sure. I'm going to hop in the shower. I'm going to do it right now. Or brushing my teeth. Same thing. Get up late, eat breakfast. The kids are like, hey, let's do this. We'll get doing some household, household chores. And after a while, I'll be like, 
I got to brush my teeth. This is rank. Right? Have you been there? Just me. Okay. I'm the weird one. That's fine. But these are things, these are daily rituals that we do every single day of our lives. And we wouldn't dream of skipping a single one of them. We wouldn't dream of it. When's the last time you went a whole day without showering or taking a bath if you're into baths? Yesterday. Yesterday. (laughs) Okay, you stay over there. (laughs) Right? Or brush your teeth. These are things that we do every day. And what Paul is saying, that's why he spent three three chapters and then some, and it's a reason why he re-emphasizes it before he gets to the list of do's and the list of don'ts. Know Christ. Know Jesus. Pay attention to that relationship because when you do that, that is how you are changed and transformed. That is how you mature to the point where all of a sudden you're a new person and you don't necessarily have to think too hard about the do's and don'ts. You just do them because it's who you are. Now, it's not easy, is it? It takes time. It takes time. At first, we're not very good at it. Like if you have kids, remember what it's like to teach them how to brush their teeth? If, if you are all grown up now and you don't have kids, do you remember what it was like to learn how to brush your teeth? Terrible at it at first. Just terrible. And you have to constantly remind them, did you brush your teeth? You have to brush your teeth. But after a while, they get better. It gets better. This is difficult. It gets better as we practice. Listen to what C.S. Lewis has to say. We can only do it for moments at first. But I love these words. But from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system. Because now we are letting him work at the right part of us. It is the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or stain which soaks right through. Like, all of us can do things to look good. Oh, yeah. Like, just following the rules, it's like paint on the surface. But connecting with the divine in a way that transforms our being, that's all the way through. Jesus never talked vague idealistic gas. When he said be perfect, he meant it. He means that we must go in for the full treatment. It's hard. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. Funny, it would be a jolly sight harder for an egg to learn how to fly while remaining an egg. It must be hatched first. It has to go through that process of transformation into a bird before it can be hatched and learn how to fly. That's kind of how it is for us. This process of the connecting to the divine to be transformed so that it's not just paint on the surface, so that it's not just things that we do just because we want to look good in the world or because we think it's the right thing to do, but to actually be changed and transformed from a connection with the divine so that we have a totally new self 
so that we're not that anymore. We're something completely new. Put on the new self. And then following those rules and traditions, right? following the rules to live by, isn't something that we think too hard about. It just becomes not even second nature. It becomes our transformed nature. It becomes who we actually are. So how's your relationship going? How's your connection with the divine? How do you, how do you clothe yourself? In other places he says, clothe yourself with Christ. Clothe yourself with Jesus. This image is something we do every single day of our lives. We're not very good at it at first, but with practice, it becomes easier. What are your daily rituals? Do you need help? Do you have someone with whom you can connect in order to work on that relationship with Jesus? How is it? Self-inventory day, right? Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your word. Yeah, and it, we, look at, we look at this list, God, and sometimes it's, it's a way for us to like measure our lives and sometimes we feel like, oh my goodness, we just don't measure up. That we fail at these things. We, we, we fall short at these things. But we know, oh God, that, that there's grace in this. We know, oh God, there's lots of grace in this. And so we ask, that you would connect with us and that we would learn how to connect with you on a regular basis, a basis that is, that is deep so that our hearts can be transformed, so that we can be made new, so that we can be the kind of people who don't think much about this. We just become the list. So God, change us, transform us, make us new in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.